Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Coach, where we help you get less overwhelmed, stop beating yourself up and start living the life you want. I'm your host, Dr. Vicki Burns, ex-professor and certified life coach. Whether you're a brand new PhD student or an experienced academic, I'm here to show you that thriving in academia can be a whole lot easier than it feels right now. Let's go. Hello and welcome to episode five. Hope you are all having a good week. Take a moment before we start to think about your week and tell me something. Actually, if you're in a position to say it out loud, I want you to say it out loud. Tell me something that you're really pleased that you've done this week. Often we focus on the stuff that we haven't done. We focus on the things that we're finding difficult. What have you done this week that you're really proud of? And it doesn't have to be submitting a paper or anything massive. It can be, I actually got up when I intended to get up for two days this week, and that's quite good. Anything at all. Tell me things that you've done this week. For me, I've stuck to my exercise plan this week. I was quite realistic about my exercise plan, so I'm quite chuffed with that. So I kept it manageable and I stuck to it. And I've also planned the outline of the course that I'm developing at the moment, which is going to help you guys so much. And I'm super excited about it. And I'm looking now at a massive piece of cardboard that's, I don't know, meter and a half square, something like that. It was from a cardboard box from a a dresser that we just bought where I've plotted it all out in Sharpies. And I'm really excited to get recording and share it with all of you. So those are the things I'm really proud of this week. I hope you've taken a moment to be proud of things too. Now, the other thing that I've decided this week that all links into the topic of today's call is that I am going to rejoin the circus. That sounds crazy. I wasn't technically in the circus, but for about three or four years, back when I used to live in Birmingham, I was part of circus organizations doing mainly aerial silks. So my mum calls it climbing the curtains, where you climb up, they're usually like three or four meter high silks, and you do tricks and stuff up there. I was part of Circus Mash and FPS Fitness. If you're in Birmingham, look them up. They're amazing. And I had a wonderful, wonderful time. Got an injury, haven't been back. And that was about a year now. I've had lots of good reasons for not going back. So I'm trying not to beat myself up too much about that. But I am starting a new class in where I live now tonight. So not tonight when you're listening to this, but tonight when I'm recording this. And I'm super excited. And I'm going to be sort of sharing my journey of returning to circus. Now, in next week's episode, I'm going to be talking about why joining the circus was one of the best things I ever did for my academic career, which sounds weird. So tune in next week if you want to know more about that. But what this really got me thinking was about the need in everything we do to accept where we are now. Now, I don't want to give you any false impressions that I was really, really good at silks, but I was okay. I was somewhere between an improver and an intermediate, I would guess. I would show people videos of what I did and people who were naive to the circus would be like, oh my God, you're amazing. People who knew circus stuff would go, oh my God, look at your bent knees. So I was in that kind of territory where I look good as long as you didn't know too much. A bit of a Monet, look good from a distance. And one of the things that I've really realized is that I need to really accept 
where I am now if I'm going to get back into it. I promise this is going to become relevant to academic work in a minute. Go with me. I've got to really accept where I am now in order to train. Because if I try to go straight back to doing the tricks I was doing 18 months ago, A, I probably won't be able to, B, I'll probably injure myself, and C, I'll probably fall because that's the downside of silks. There's nothing holding you up. And so I'm heavier than I was. I'm not as strong as I was. I'm not as flexible as I was. And I haven't rehearsed the moves for over a year now. And I'm working really hard on accepting where I am. Now, I want you to imagine that I go to my circus class tonight and I've literally no idea how it's going to be. So this might happen. Let's hope not. I'll tell you next week. Imagine I walk into the, to the circus and the trainer says, here you go, these are the moves you're going to do. And I'll be a bit like, do you want to know anything about where I'm at? No, no, it's fine. We're doing these tricks tonight. Just crack on. I'll be like, but but I, I don't think I can actually do that. And the trainer says, no, no, stop making excuses. Everyone does does these tricks. Off you go. I'm like, but I haven't even told you about my injury. I really damaged my ribs a year ago and couldn't walk for like a week. Really? Do we need to just get on with it? Now, I would probably leave at that point. But imagine I tried. And I fail. I couldn't do it. And then the trainer says to me, well, you could do it if you weren't so lazy and you'd been training since last year, like you said you would. You're just obviously going to be lazy forever. Now, I wouldn't go back to that circus. You translate that to any sort of personal training or gym experience, you wouldn't go back to that training space. You wouldn't put up with somebody talking to you like that. And you'd also understand that it's a, not only is it not nice, it's a stupid way to train somebody. It's just to make up a program and say, do this, because that's what everybody else does, without taking any time to think about what you're actually good at, what you're, you're less good at, what you still need to learn and work on. What I'm hoping tonight is that they will be compassionate to where I've been, because I do feel an element of guilt that I haven't carried on with my conditioning through my injury and that sort of thing, that they'll be compassionate and non-judgmental, that they'll help me figure out where I'm at, help me figure out what things I can still do and kind of build my confidence around those and hopefully give me some praise. I do love stickers and praise and all that stuff. And they'll help me figure out which things maybe are tricks that are not for at the moment, but help me figure out how I can get back to them. Because I also don't want them to just go, Ah, well, yeah, you know, you probably just need to do all the beginner things now. It's fine. You know, you're kind of old, you're kind of heavy, you're not really circus, are you? Just just put a footlock on and do some little tricks, you'll be fine. That's one of the most basic things you can do in silks. I don't want them to do that either because I want to improve. There's nothing wrong with where I'm at, but I want to improve. And so that's what I want in a teacher. I want them to understand where I'm at and to support me to improve. But isn't it funny how, when we think about how we talk to ourselves, we don't take that approach. How many times have you told yourself, you should be better at something by now? I should have learned how not to procrastinate by now. I should have learned how to get a paper written by now. I shouldn't find this difficult. I've done this before. Or I shouldn't find this hard. Everybody else does it. And 
at the same time, we sort of think, okay, maybe I shouldn't be beating myself up. But if I stop beating myself up, then I'm just going to accept that I'm a bit rubbish at doing this and I won't progress. So what this episode is really about is the importance of that acceptance, of self-acceptance, figuring out what happens when we don't accept ourselves how we are and how much better it can be if we do and how that can help us not only be happy now, but also to progress. And we're going to finish up with some tips as to how you can develop more self-acceptance. And two things I want to say now. One, this is part of a conversation I've been having with an academic called Dr. Sarah Alsop, who works at the University of Bristol. She runs The Grateful Academic. If you haven't seen her blog before, check it out. There's some amazing articles in there, some which she written, others which other guest bloggers have. And a version of this podcast today is going to be a blog on there soon. So do go and check that out. The other caveat that I'm putting right up front here is this is very much still a work in progress for me. I'm aware my mum listens to this podcast. So does my partner. So do my friends. And they will laugh at some of the things I'm going to be talking with you about because I am still really working on some elements of self-acceptance. And I'll tell you some stories about that as we go through. But let's start. What's the problem with a lack of self-acceptance? Why can't we just bully ourselves into achieving our goals? Well, There's several. The first is we make unrealistic plans. So when I was at the worst of my lack of self-acceptance, about maybe three, four years ago, I would just make super unrealistic plans about how I was going to have this amazing routine and I was going to stick to it every morning and I was going to work this time and not that time. And I would always get everything done on time and I'd do all these things. And it was totally unrealistic. And it came from a place where I thought I was only acceptable if I could do all those things, that actually the version of me that's real, the version of me that gets overwhelmed, that overcommits, that procrastinates, all those things, that that was bad me. And that as long as I could be good me and not do any of those things, then I would be okay. And so I'd make these crazy unrealistic plans that were entirely based on me being someone other than who I have clearly proved myself to be. And then I would beat myself up for not sticking to them. And it was a really painful cycle. And that leads to the next issue. The next issue is when it is a really painful cycle like that, you start to blame yourself hugely. So instead of going, oh, maybe I'm making unrealistic plans, you go, no, no, it's just because you didn't get on with it. You're just lazy. You just need to get on with it next time. Come on, this is your fault. You're in control of this. You can do this. This is perfectly easy stuff. Get on with it. And so you start doing this sort of self-blame and inducing shame. And we all know that good positive action never comes from emotions like shame. And it also becomes this negative soundtrack. And this is the part that I'm really still working on because I don't feel a lot of the the shame that I used to. And I'm much more accepting that I am the way I am and that sometimes I will go super fast and plan an entire course in a day like I did yesterday. And other times I will faff about and not get a great deal done. I'm much more accepting of that. But I still am trying to get rid of the negative soundtrack that I've sort of imprinted into my brain where I apologize a lot. I tell myself that I'm useless quite a lot. And it becomes this sort of refrain in your head that is hard to turn off. I'm good at not taking it seriously now, but it's still there. 
And it makes it super hard to change your behavior when you're doing it from a place of not really accepting how you are. It's that unrealistic exercise plan. The final thing, and this was the bit that I've noticed changed the most, is it makes you really defensive to criticism. I remember being in a meeting with some very senior members of my school. I was head of education at the time, and it was during pandemic, so it was super stressful for everybody. We were trying to, on the fly, reprogram everything, sort of work out how on earth we were going to deliver our programs and so on. And some of the staff, with every good intention in the world, were saying, it would have been really useful to know about this bit sooner. We need to be more consulted on that bit. Da, da, da. And what they were saying was totally justified. But because I was still in a place where I was telling myself, you should have done this sooner. You're so lazy. I got super defensive. And it wasn't really because of what they said. It was because of what I was making it mean. I was making these perfectly valid comments mean that they thought I was bad at my job. Worse, I made it mean that they didn't like me, which felt even more worse. But it made me really defensive to that criticism. Whereas I've noticed as I've worked on this, that I'm much better at going, yeah, would have been way useful, wouldn't it? Yeah, sorry, didn't. And people take that so much better. I've even noticed it change interactions in my family. I have ADHD, so I sometimes quite often forget routine tasks. I forget setting up dentists, booking my dog into the vets for his annual checks. And this morning I got a message from my mom saying, have you booked Marley into the vets yet? And once upon a time, before I did more work on self-acceptance, I would have reacted with a, mom, for God's sake, I'm a grown woman. I'm perfectly capable of doing this. Back off. Stop nagging me. And she's adorable. She's the best person in the whole world. And all she's trying to do is help me. And now because I'm so much more accepting of the fact that I do find that challenging, my reaction was, yes, thank you. Appreciate the reminder. I'll do it today. And I am actually going to do it today. By the time this comes out, I'll have done it, mum. Okay, just so you know. <laughs> but that has come from self-acceptance. Before that, I was super defensive to criticism. And I want you to think how you react when people criticize you for something that you criticize yourself for. I bet it's similar. So that was one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode is because it's been so powerful for me. And I see so much lack of acceptance in academia that I wanted to try and help you guys with this too, if you were experiencing similar things. So let's backtrack a second and think about what self-acceptance really is. So for me, self-acceptance has two main components. It has one component where you accept that you have strengths and weaknesses and you understand them. Now, this is the bit that I've made the most progress on. I absolutely know that my strengths are around ideas, creativity, enthusiasm, the ability to make stuff up as I go along, the willingness to make a fool of myself and not worry about what people think. So I have a ton of strengths. My weaknesses are generally around routine tasks, sticking to organizational tasks, a tendency to get 
overexcited, overcommit, a tendency to get overwhelmed, a tendency to struggle to get going on something. So I have pretty good understanding of my strengths and weaknesses. I understand environments that make them better. I understand environments that trigger them. So in terms of accepting strengths and weaknesses and understanding what they are, I'm doing pretty good on that after two or three years work. How are you on that? If I asked you to list your strengths and your weaknesses, could you do that? Would you be able to explain why their strengths, why their weaknesses? Would you be able to explain in which contexts your strengths work best and in which contexts your weaknesses become most pronounced? If not, that's something you might want to spend a bit of time pondering on because that's the first step to self-acceptance. What are we accepting? The second thing, and this bit's still a work in progress for me, is accepting that you are valuable regardless of your strengths and weaknesses. Now, I believe that cognitively very strongly, but there's still part of my brain that says, yeah, but you'd be better if you were more organized. So I've still got niggling bits of non-acceptance that I'm still working through. And that's okay, because we're all humans and we're never going to be perfect at all this stuff. The process of working on it is almost as valuable as actually achieving the thing you're working towards. So to what extent do you believe that? Do you believe that you have value regardless of your weaknesses? Or do you still think you need to be better in order to be successful in academia? You still, you need to be better in order to get your PhD, to get your promotion. And now one of the pushbacks I always get when I talk about self-acceptance and I've pushed back on myself on is people who believe that self-acceptance is going, yeah, I am what I am and there's nothing I can do about it. I don't know why I'm talking like that now, but you know what I mean? That kind of like, yeah, take me or leave me. This is what I am. You might think that because you know, I've self-accepted a tendency that I get I get overexcited and overcommit and overwhelmed, but I'm just not going to bother to constrain my focus because that's my tendency, that's what I'm like, and I love myself, and that's all good. What I've learned is that the opposite is true. When I hadn't accepted that I'm someone who gets overexcited, overcommits, and then gets overwhelmed, I'd make all those unrealistic plans, and I wouldn't ask for support, and I wouldn't tell people I was struggling, and I'd procrastinate loads because I was feeling shame about it. Whereas, actually, a place of acceptance is much easier to develop from because I'm more realistic about what I can expect. I am cautious. I, I hear myself when I'm like volunteering to do something, and then go, "Oh, hang on, hang on," because I know you, Vicky Burns. I know you and what you're probably going to do. Let's let's think about this before we commit to that. I've just moved to a new area back where my family home is based. And I did not agree to take on a brownie pack with my little sister, which I'm very proud of because it was a very tempting offer. It would be super fun to work with my sister on it. But I know I'm starting a new business. I'm establishing a new home. I want to get back onto my fitness routine and I don't want to overcommit. So I said no. And I did that from a place of self-acceptance, that I understand myself and I understand that that would, at this stage in my life, be a route to getting overexcited and overcommitted. 
And I said, no. And she understood, which was lovely. So when you accept, you're much more likely to be able to have those conversations. Because I didn't think this was bad, I wasn't super apologetic to my sister. I wasn't like, oh my God, is there a way I could possibly do it? I was just like, sis, no. Would love to. You know I'd love to, but I know me and I can't. So self-acceptance isn't fatalism. If you know where you are and accept that position, you can support yourself compassionately to develop from there. It's what I'm hoping will happen at Circus tonight, that they'll suss out exactly where I'm at, what I can do and what I can't do, and help me develop a realistic training plan that I can follow to get back in the air and enjoy flying again. And I will hopefully be sharing that journey with you guys so you can laugh at and enjoy and cheer me on as I succeed and fail and enjoy the process. So if you're thinking that you criticize yourself a lot, that you spend a lot of time telling yourself that you should be better or should be further along, I've got some tips that might help you. The first one is accepting that criticizing yourself is a really hard habit to break. I've been working on this stuff pretty consistently for a few years now, and I still do it. My partner still says to me, oh, you're being really mean to yourself today, Vicky. You will likely still have thoughts about how you wish you didn't have your weaknesses and how much better you'd be if you didn't have those. But you can learn to take them less seriously. You can learn to focus on them less. You'll notice they appear less often and you'll notice that you snap out of it more quickly. So now, whilst they do still pop up for me, when somebody says, usually my partner, you're not being very kind to yourself right now, Vicky, I'm more likely to go, oh yeah, no, you're right. Okay, what else is true? This is also true and snap myself out. So whereas in the past, I'd have been like, shut up, just leave me alone. Now I'm like, oh, yes, thank you for reminding me that that's what I'm doing because, yeah, that doesn't help, does it? And I snap out of it much more quickly. One approach to that, I was talking to one of my friends, Nick, about this stuff, and he told me that he reminds himself, I'm an imperfect human just like everyone else, and he had it written on a post-it note. And I loved that. I am an imperfect human just like everybody else. We sometimes expect a level of perfection from ourselves that we don't expect from anybody else. We are all humans. We all have strengths and weaknesses. And we all can add value and be valuable people with all of those strengths and weaknesses. So thinking of ways, whether to post it, note, note to yourself, whatever it is, of reminding yourself of that can be really, really useful. Third tip is try and notice when you start comparing yourself to others. Notice when you think, oh, so-and-so is so much better at this than me. So-and-so is further along than me. Because one thing that can make it really hard to accept ourselves is seeing other people being good at the thing that we're not so good at. I have lots, as I've talked about before, lots of highly organized people in my life. And I used to spend quite a bit of time going, why can't I just plan a menu for the week where I know what I'm going to eat and like look in some recipe books and things? Because that's what my friend Cheryl does and she's amazing. And why can't I just do that? And I know, except I don't do that. That's fine. We'll talk about food planning another day. But it took comparing myself for that to really sink in. So one little thought that I want you to keep in your head on that is I'm on my own journey. 
So conversation I had with a lot of my project students, dissertation students, PhD students, when I was an academic, you're on your own journey. It's easy to look across and see other people and fast they're getting papers published, finishing their experiments, whatever it might be, and thinking that that means something about you. So the little mantra, I'm on my own journey, can really help. Another tip is to think of yourself as a small child. You were that little child once, and you had strengths and weaknesses then too. I was a somewhat bossy child, I think it's fair to say. And, you know, that had its challenges, my family will tell you. Um, But you need to remember, if you're criticizing yourself, you're criticizing that little child. I wouldn't walk up to a five-year-old and say, you're so bossy, stop being so bossy. I'd think of ways to focus on the strengths that that showed and support her to work on the weaknesses, but to understand them and to know that she has value, even if she's bossing around everyone in the playground. One day you will look back with the same nostalgia and kindness on the you of today. So remember to speak to yourself in a way that is kind and compassionate. The final one is to take a breath and ask yourself, how would I react if this was true and that's okay? So. Maybe it's true that you should have started writing sooner. Maybe it's true that your first draft was rubbish and needed completely rewriting. Maybe it's true that the lecture you delivered wasn't very clear and the students fell asleep. What if all of those things are okay? How would you react differently if you just said, yeah, I should have started it sooner. Yeah, my first draft was rubbish. My lecture was boring. It just was. What would you do? You'd probably think, okay, what can I do now then? How can I get some more support? How can I get further training? How can I practice a bit more? You might explore what was it that meant I didn't start this task earlier? What led to me writing a rubbish first draft? So you'd look at it with some curiosity. You try to figure out how to move forwards quickly now. So to finish, I would really encourage you to try and figure out what are your strengths and weaknesses and try to spend some time thinking why that's totally okay. Why you are completely whole and completely human and completely valued and valuable with all of those strengths and weaknesses and how you can use that acceptance and that understanding to plot your next path forwards. Thank you for listening to the PhD Life Coach Podcast. If you like this episode, please tell your friends, your colleagues and your universities. I'd appreciate it if you took the time to like, leave a review, give me stars, stickers and all that general approval as well. If you'd like to find out more about working with me, either for yourself or for people at your university, please check out my website at thephdlifecoach.com. You can also sign up to hear more about my free group coaching sessions for PhD students and academics. See you next time.